Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. I'm just going to take just a minute here and move this if I could. There. You know, I know the announcement has been made, but when we're all together, it makes preaching a little bit easier. Running back and forth, and uh, yes, there's another tree over there. I didn't want to carry it. (laughs) But I was halfway here, and I forgot. Oh, I forgot my bag of apples. And so anyways, anyways, we're so glad you've come to be here. And we're continuing our series on the easy yoke that Pastor Tim has been talking about and the yoke that Jesus describes. And we'll be looking at Psalms 1 today. And and if you don't have your Bibles open, I'm going to ask that you would. And while you're turning there, let's just take a brief, quick walk down memory lane. Some of the things we've heard so far, if you would. Pastor Tim reminded us, if you and I are wanting to respond like Jesus in a way that is normal and natural and easy, there are three things that we need to do in order to do that. First one is to abide with Jesus. We need to spend time with him, develop that relationship. Then we can train like Jesus. There's exercises that you and I can do that will help us to think and respond more like Christ. And then the last one is we just live like Jesus. We live like him. And uh, Over the few weeks ago, Pastor Tim talked about the importance of being in community, in a community that loves you like Jesus did. You say, why? Because it creates a safe environment. Because you and I can't be talked into change but we can be loved in the change. So community is very important. And last week, Tim, Pastor Tim focused on several exercises that you and I can do to create more intentionality on our focus in Christ. One is he talked about the Sabbath. It's a day that set aside for the purpose of you and I leaning into our relationship with the Father, where we remove distractions, for example, that would hinder us from getting alone and strengthening our relationship with the Father. And while we're with Him, we once again resonate with His unconditional love of us. And we can serve knowing that we are deeply loved by our Father and to serve from that. He also talked about the exercise of fasting. You know, it's when you get in your car and you drive faster to work. Oh, oh, wrong one. (laughs) No, it's not that. It's where you and I say no to something that we we really need, like food, in order to say yes to something we want even more, like a closeness with God. We're carrying burdens and we are too heavy and we just need that time with Him, our Father. We need Him. We need Him. But as Pastor Tim reminded last week, these practices aren't the main point. So don't focus on the practice. The practices are just there to give you a time and a space to deepen your relationship with the Father. And today, 
as we look into the book of Psalms, many refer to it as the, the a hymn book or the, the song book for the Israelites. Perhaps a better way to look at it is the H-I-M book, the hymn book, because there's more said about Jesus Christ in the Psalms than any other person, the hymn book. We also see in here that since there were no bookstores or Amazon when the Psalms were written, the Israelites knew that if you took a great doctrinal truth and you put a melody to it, it was easier to memorize it and to take it home with you so you could live it out that week. The songbook. So as you and I read it once again, I know it was read earlier, but as we read it, I want you to read this and think about it like a follower of Jesus would think. For example, what kind of life does God want for me? That's pretty important to know. What kind of a life does he want me to have? Also, maybe this question, what is God asking me to do or not do in this text? And then what benefits come from doing things his way? Let's begin. If you don't mind, you can stay seated. Let's read it responsively. I'll read the first verse. You read number two, me three. You get the idea. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But... And he is like a tree that's planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And thank you. This is God's word. This chapter reminds me of the importance to be careful of what we allow to enter our minds and our heart because it has that ability to impact us. As I was meditating on Psalms 1, it, it, it reminds me of something a godly father would tell his son as he's getting ready to go to college or his daughter. Son, we've done our best to raise you for the Lord. Your grandparents and I, we've been praying for you. We've invested in you. Son, remember the scriptures. As you go off, you're going to go into an institution or someplace, and you're going to hear stuff that might differ from this. They're going to try to point you away from God. But son, stick with the Lord. His word is true. His word is true. We see that today's main point is this, that a disciple of Jesus He's going to reject the counsel of the world. He'd rather choose to conform his way and thinking in his life to the kingdom of God. You know, much is being said these days about a phrase called spiritual formation. I read this definition recently, and I thought it was good, and it'll be helpful for you and also for me as we understand it by Dallas Willard. He says this. He says, the process of spiritual formation in Christ is one of progressively replacing destructive images and ideas with the images and ideas that filled the mind of Jesus Christ. Spiritual formation in Christ moves toward a total interchange of our ideas and images for his. 
There's a replacing that's going on. The fact that there's hope for change through Christ is amazing. Not only amazing, but without it, I would be hurting in the benevolence ministry. This gives me hope. Because if somebody comes to us in need and they're willing to evaluate some of the decisions and habits that they're doing, and they're willing to replace some of those with more God-honoring ways and habits, there's a ton of hope. There's a ton of hope in that. Because if not, I probably would have stopped working in the benevolence ministry a long time ago, a long time ago. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, okay, Pastor, we, you know, there's so much information out there. Is, is really getting a little bit of misguided information a big deal? Well, let me tell you, I'm going to tell you two stories. First one is this. How would it make you feel if you devoted years of your life to sit under one of the greatest Bible teachers of the day, only to find out later on that your thinking and beliefs were just a little off? So much so that you were actually treating the hero of the Bible as if he were the enemy. That person's name was a Pharisee named Saul. Just a little misguided. His zeal was amazing, but his understanding of the truth, it needed to be revised and replaced with the truth. So one day on his way to Damascus, God stopped him and Jesus spoke with him and he, he shared with him the truth because Jesus is the truth. And that young man became a Christian. He became a believer. And so his, his truth, his beliefs had to get replaced. Now instead of hating Christians, his love for Christ was spilling out of him and spilling around him. Now he was actually loving Christians instead. Something changed. What changed? It was his teacher. It was God's word that was influencing him. He revealed the truth. His path changed. He was going this way and his path changed because now he had a new message and a new direction and a purpose for his life. His heart changed. Instead of treating Jesus as the enemy, he opened his heart to the Lord. And now he was in love with Jesus, which in turn changed his love for Christians and believers as well. So yes, we all need to be a little bit careful about being misguided. It's easy to happen in our world. Well, who's your teacher? Who's the one that you're allowing to give input to guide you in your decisions? Is it the TV? Is it social media? Is it your friends at work? Or is it the famous Google giving you all the answers? Hmm. If you're like me, you and I both know there's so much information out there. We're inundated. We're just overwhelmed with information. So much so, that's probably part of the plan. Because it takes our value of words and we're like, ah, they're just not really that important words. But God says they are. And let me explain. Back in the beginning, God fearfully and wonderfully created, created Adam back in the garden, didn't he? And Adam wasn't created with all the answers to life questions neatly packed into his brain like an encyclopedia, just waiting to be drawn out. No, he wasn't created that way. 
He was created with a need to be guided by God. And he needed God's words to guide him so he could make good and wise choices. So God and Adam, they spent time walking together in the garden, didn't they? They talked together, and this allowed Adam to hear instructions from God so he could understand and find his purpose and meaning in life. Because Adam wasn't created to live autonomously, but to live dependent on the guidance of the Father. You know, Adam was created perfect, but his growth, his learning, and his direction, they just didn't happen automatically. It came after hearing God's instruction and then choosing to obey it. For example, Adam, I want you to tend the garden. Keep it. Adam, this is what's available to eat. Adam, I'd like you to name the animals. Adam, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Oh, and Adam, I want you to subdue the earth. Why would God say all those things to Adam if they were already neatly packed tightly inside of him with all the answers? Because they weren't. Words were meant to guide us, especially God's words. Because man doesn't live by bread alone. But can you finish the phrase with me? But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Even before sin and the fall, even before that, God created man with the need and the ability to be influenced and guided by words, whether written or spoken. Because we were meant to be dependent on God to guide us. But then one day in the garden, Adam and his lovely wife Eve were walking. And guess what? They heard another counsel. Hmm. This counsel was different. It wasn't God's voice speaking to them. It was Satan's voice that was speaking to them through a serpent. They said, well, we're just going to stop and listen after all. Listen, there's no harm in listening, right? Well, Satan's words began to cast doubt on the goodness of God, didn't they? And the truthfulness of God's word. Up to this point, God's words were simple and clear and it had Adam's best interest in mind. Now, all of a sudden, they're getting more confusing and complicated. And, and does God really want what's best for you? There's always been two counsels, God's counsel and Satan's, as a matter of fact. But they each had a different outcome as well. One was like a tree and one's like chaff. Hmm, we'll talk about that later. All throughout biblical history, two seems to be a very common thing. Two councils. Also, there are two outcomes, the tree and the chaff. There were two Adams, the first Adam, and then the second Adam, Jesus Christ. There were two builders that Jesus talked about, the wise and the foolish. Two, two. So let's look at Psalms chapter 1, if you would, with me. The very first word is the word blessed. You can look it up. It's the same word that Jesus would use in the New Testament, but in a Greek way, uh, the word blessed in the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. That word blessed, if you look it up, it means blessedness or 
happiness. Now, now, now let's stop and think about that. God wants you to be happy. He wants what's best for you. That's the way it starts. Blessed, happy is the one that does this because I want what's best for you. Blessed. But living in this Jewish culture, I'm sure that in the auditorium that they sat in where the people, not everybody wanted to just obey God's word. Do you think so? They were asked to. God expected them to, but, you know, you and I have been enough around mankind. We know that there's a, so you got to just be careful. But that blessedness is just that happiness, that, that contentment deep down in your soul that God's ways are literally our best for me. They really are the blessed life. And so as we, as we look at this, in verse 1, he says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the, of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The psalmist here is stating this. He says, you know, the truly happy person, that blessed life person, they avoid the counsel of the wicked. They avoid it. And three different words that they are used there, we're just going to highlight on them, just the walking and then standing and then sitting. All different types of words. Walking is just, in the, in the Bible, is just something that you and I would do casually. You know, you're just minding your own business, you're at work, talking, and next thing you know, somebody gives you advice. I know they think it's good advice for you. You know, they actually, when they share it with you, they actually think it's good advice. But a disciple of Jesus has to use a filter of the scriptures and say, is it really good advice? Whether it happens, somebody speaking out there, are you ready? Or somebody speaking to you from in here? Because a disciple of Jesus is so intent on living for Jesus, they want to make sure it stays with the scripture and what God wants them to do. So they just casually walk. You know, what, what are you going to do about this? Ready? You know, it's okay. If you want to be unfaithful, to be satisfied. With, you know, just be unfaithful to your spouse. You're not going to get caught. No one will ever know. But the blessed, happy person, the happy life, knows that God's watching. And that God wants them to honor their covenant and their commitment that they made before Almighty God. Or how about this one? You know, it's okay to be mean to somebody as long as they were mean to you first. That's almost like common in our culture that we live today. Easier put, just revenge. Revenge is okay if, if, if as long as they started it. And God says, no, 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 don't do that. That's my spot. Don't mess with revenge. Let me do that. Don't go there. But that's the blessed, happy life. And then if you continually just casually listen to this advice, I'll listen to whatever. Remember, it's not going to impact me, and I've already shared stories. Words have the ability to influence and guide us. And then you find yourself standing in the way of sinners. You're a little bit more firm. Maybe perhaps you're so eager for community to be around others. You are willing to go to places that you know are worldly just because you want to be around people and hear what they have to say because it makes you feel good instead of what you need to hear to live like Jesus. Hmm. Are there places and people that you go that you're beginning to stand in the way of sinners? 
And then he says that they sit in the seat of scoffers. This is where we, you, at the longer we go down casually and then standing, we find ourselves sitting. We find ourselves becoming indifferent towards the Lord. And the psalmist says you'll find yourself seated next to the scornful person. As a matter of fact, you're going to be there right with them, and you're going to be defending the worldly views now. Not only that, but if you see a Christian trying to live for Jesus, you're going to ridicule them. That's where this progression takes you. And it's just not good. It's not the blessed, happy life that our good Father wants you to have. Number two. In verse two, he says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He redirects our thinking to more of a positive, the psalmist does. And he wants us, he redirects our path from the world's stories back to meditating on the truth of the scriptures because the blessed, happy life is one that delights in the scriptures and intentionally reflects on them over and over Why? Until they become a part of them. Until they become a part of them. Because meditating isn't just reading the Bible. It's about chewing on the Bible and allowing it to give you the nourishment that you need to actually live it out. You know, Hebrews, it says this in the book of Hebrews about God's Word as a good reminder to all of us. For the Word of God is living and it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is alive. It's meant to guide you. It's meant to cut. It's meant to discern, and it's meant to help you. It's just not any type of word. These are God's words. And when you meditate on it, trust me, there's life in those words. There's life in them. So to meditate on it is to repeatedly go over and over in your mind until your conduct and your character begins to change more from yours to more into the image of Christ. And when he meditates, the scripture says it's day and night. It's just throughout the day. You find that person pondering it, just thinking about it until it becomes normal and natural. Warren Wearsby said this about meditation. He said, what digestion is to the body, meditation is to the soul. You know, there's nothing spooky in meditation. I don't, this isn't a, this is a, take a scripture and read over it and think over it. Write it out if you want to, but you're trying to process that in your mind. Meditation. The process of meditation is kind of like, maybe this will help you, like trail nine in the state park. How many of you have ever hiked that trail? Nice. I'm going to tempt some of you, yeah. It's a nice, it's a beautiful trail if you've never done it. But the reason Trail 9 is so distinctly marked is because hikers repetitively hike that trail. It just continuously gets used and used and used. Meditation. Those thoughts, the scripture, you're like, what does that blessed really look like? And you're processing that in your mind over and over again. You know, when Moses passed away, the next leader, Joshua, comes up, and God's getting ready to give him advice, the new leader. And he says this, This book of the law, uh, Joshua, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good 
success. And let's see here. I was sitting in this auditorium. It's been years ago now, somewhere around in here. And as I was listening, it was a funeral service that had taken place. I don't, this is, I've participated, officiated, or watched a lot of funerals. This is the one and only time I've ever heard anything like this. But I heard it was Bill Costas, if you remember Bill. Was, I don't know if Diane's in here. She's, I see her next door. But one of the sons stood up here, and he had these three-by-five cards. He says, you know what? The one thing that I remembered most about my dad and that I really wanted was he would take scripture verses and he would write them out on a three-by-five card. And as he would process, you know, the cards would get damaged and finger noils and stuff on it, but he would be pondering or meditating those scriptures. And when he learned it, he'd punch a hole in it, and then he'd put it on a, on a metal ring. And so he could refer and review and look at the verses. And the son held up the ring, at his, this ring of scripture at his dad's funeral and said, this is the thing that I really wanted from my dad. I've never heard that at a service. And yet God's word is so clear. So what keeps us from meditating on the scripture? As simple as this sounds, is it the $1.19 that it costs for a pack of three-by-five cards? I don't think so. Do you? Or is it perhaps the junk food that we might be eating? Not the literally Twinkies. Well, you know, don't, don't, give those, don't give up those. I'm just kidding. Not that junk food. But, you know, we fill our mind with so much stuff. Perhaps even worse than that, are you ready? It's busyness. We're too busy checking our cell phones and our emails and our social media. Too busy gaming. And the list goes on. Our schedules are so chock full. Ugh. Maybe some other time. I've got to get all this stuff done. And we've pushed God right out and the blessed life that he so wants us to have. I'm as guilty as the next person. I'm not saying this today because I got it all figured out. Sometimes God wants my ears to hear what my mouth has got to say. But you know what I'm talking about. I look around here at some of you and your heads are shaking. You know when you're meditating, you're really pondering those scriptures and it becomes a part of you. It changes you. And when we don't, something happens. Maybe you haven't thought of this, but God doesn't have another plan in his back pocket to change you more into the image of his son. He only has one plan. And it's going to be through his word. It's going to be through his word. God's word was given to point us to Christ and then to help us change into the image of his son, Jesus. So to live like Jesus, it's going to involve meditating on the scriptures and the kingdom of God. That's going to involve that. That's going to. And then number three. He says in verse three, he is like a tree. Hence, <clears throat> the, the visual 
planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. I mean, so far we've learned that the blessed, happy person avoids the world's counsel. He meditates on the scripture. And now number three, the blessed life will bring stability and fruit to our lives. God says, as you meditate and you do things according to the scripture, let me guide you. You will be like a tree planted by the the water, right? The streams of water. In John chapter 4, Jesus is by the well. He describes himself as the living water. Well, what might happen if you're like this tree planted by living water, what do you think would happen when the heat comes and the drought comes? Would you still be satisfied? I mean, back in the the culture that this was written in Israel, it didn't look like a lush, plush garden, did it? It looked more deserty and more... And now he says, those of you, the blessed life that take the scriptures serious, you will be like this tree planted by the rivers of water. Flourishing. Wow. By the way, my special thank you to Rick Whitmer for helping me bring this tree so that we could have it today too. And then he says, what else does he say about the tree? He says that fruit will happen. It will happen. The roots that we don't see are digging down so deep and being fed continually by that life-giving water that in its proper season, there's actually fruit that comes. Now, what is this fruit? Well, the fruit isn't for the benefit of the tree. The fruit is to benefit others. You know, it's to give nourishment to others. I mean, when somebody looks at you and they can tell that something is different about you, next thing you know it, they want some of what you have because there's a changed life like fruit because your life has been transformed. Now, this is an amazing time of the year. I'm in apple season and this time, this is awesome. Does anybody like Ida red apples? You just got to be able to catch. Go on. I have one more. And I will take it easy on you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, good. So that is the life that God has for you. And the other type of a life, well, I reached out to Matt Gates, one of our farmers, and I said, you know, I'm thinking, when this was written, it more describes, I was thinking, chaff from wheat. But wheat is harvested in the summertime. So what am I going to use for chaff? He says, Daryl. I'm going to bring some of the chaff from the corn. Oh. He said, it's red, and it's good for nothing. (laughs) I mean, the scriptures talk about a tree that's planted. It's not moving. And then he compares it to, (coughs) sorry, the chaff that the wind blows away. There's no roots. There's no fruit. 
nothing like that. You say, what does that mean? The chaff symbolizes a faithless life. I don't need God. I especially don't need him telling me what to do. I know what I need to do. Others, oh, no, that's all about me. I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to live for my passions. I'm going to live for what I want to do. The life of chaff. Hmm. Interesting. But as we think about that, (laughs) remember, we're influenced by words, and God says, I really think you need to know this because the outcomes of of life are different if you don't spend time with me. And so then when we look at here, he finishes off the chapter with verse 5. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. As I read these verses, the thing that jumps out at me is the Lord knows. The Lord knows the righteous, and he approves of them. And one day he will welcome them home. But the wicked will perish. Hmm. In just a few minutes, you and I are going to be gathering around the communion table, aren't we? As the family of God. God knows those who have come to him by faith in Christ. He knows. God was there and saw you when you finally understood that you were guilty of sin before a holy God. And you were completely helpless and hopeless. He knows. He was there. He also saw you cry out to heaven and say, Jesus, I can't do this. Would you be my atoning sacrifice and my righteousness? He was there. God saw you. He knows. He knows. And so because of this, this morning, we can approach this table with a thankful heart and just embrace our Heavenly Father and reminded that he is so good. He is so good. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness. I, fa- I thank you for the life that you've given each of us and the direction that your words are here to guide us. Help them to become more part of us. And may the world see that we serve a good Father who wants what's best for us. And now, Lord, as we get ready to take communion in a special way, may we just say thank you for the body and the blood that Jesus gave to pay for our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net. 